So very good to see you this morning. I, I got to tell you, I, I, I feel like I say this too much, um, and then maybe I, maybe I haven't said it in a while, but I, I don't know about you, and I don't know if you think back to 2020 very often, but unfortunately, I think back to 2020 a lot, and, and I often think right before I get up here to preach, I often have flashbacks of what it was like every week coming in this auditorium and preaching for the camera, only I didn't look at the camera. You know, I looked at all of the, sa- the seats, and I, I imagined your faces that weren't there for so long. It was so hard. And so now every week, every week that I get to be in this room with you and sing with you and share the bread and the cup with you, to think about and remember our brothers and sisters that are participating with us online, but, but to be here with you. And then to have Sundays like we've been having the last few weeks. Last week we had over 830 people here. It is so incredibly exciting. And I just think back to how far we've come over the last couple of years. And then in a couple of weeks going to have this service again at the Allen High School this one church, this combined service. And, and it's going to be different this year. It's going to be different this time. Every time it's been awesome. One of the best services we've ever had have been these services that we have, these combined services. And they're exciting and wonderful because they're, they're first service and second service and people that don't get to see each other very often coming together. But, but this is going to be even better than that. It's going to be better than that because of everything we've been through over the last couple of years. It's going to be better than that because we're, we're going to invite our brothers and sisters that are watching online. If you can be with us on, April, or on uh, September 25th, be here with us. But it's also going to be better because this is going to be a friends and family day. I want to encourage you, invite everybody you know. Invite everybody you know. Because right now, right now, Our world, as always, needs Jesus. Right now, as always, our our world needs the church, needs community, needs family, needs relationships. And I guarantee you that you know someone who needs what you already have. And so while I get really, really excited about these one church events, these coming together, first service, second service, whole McDermott Road congregation being in one room at one time. I get super excited about that. This one isn't for us. It's for them. It's for our neighbors. It's for our coworkers. It's for our classmates. It's for our families. Invite them to be with us on September 25th. Invite them to experience what you get to experience and to have what you have. Invite them to come and get a taste of how good the Lord can be how good the church can be. We can go to the next slide. I, I, was, I was thinking about this question. Actually, it was a, a silly joke, and I'm not even going to tell my silly joke because you've probably heard it before. I've probably told it before. But, but think about it this way. If you took two people, two people, two, two Christian people, two mature Christian people, two mature Christians who, who know the Bible and they love Jesus, and you took these two people and you dropped them off on a desert island all by themselves for 20 years, and then you came back 20 years later to check on them, what are the chances there'd be two churches instead of one? Right? I'd say... Knowing people, 
chances are pretty high. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it so hard for us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Why is it so hard for us to hold on to each other? Why is it so hard for us to, to not say, I'm going to go find another family. I'm going to go over here. I don't want to be around you anymore. I don't like you. I don't agree with you. And we can't figure this out. Why is it so hard for us to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? The last few weeks, we've been reading through the book of Acts, studying the book of Acts, and we've been thinking about the external threats on the church. And there are external threats to the church. There were in the first century, and there are today. But more often than not, the greatest threats are not external. The greatest threats are internal. How, how, do, we, how do we work through hard things? How do we work through divisive issues? How do we work through controversy and maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? As we look at the church in the book of Acts, we, we don't see perfect people, we don't see perfect Christians, we don't see perfect churches, but we see an unstoppable church because we know that they are leaning into, living into, aligning themselves with Jesus and with his mission, and in spite of the fact that they deal with incredibly divisive issues, controversial issues, they are unstoppable. And I want, I want us to continue to be that kind of church. So if you got your Bible, Acts chapter 15, we're going to look at what does the, the church in Antioch and the church in Jerusalem, what do they do to deal with controversial issues and still maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Acts 15 and verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, this is in Antioch, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, let's stop right there for a second. Now, what's the problem here? It's the same problem we've been talking about over and over again, haven't we? We, we talked about the, the multi-ethnic church that Jesus is putting together, that Jesus is bringing together and unifying people of every ethnic group. The problem isn't that these Jewish Christians believe they should be circumcised. That, that's not the problem. The problem isn't that these Jewish Christians are themselves practicing Jewish customs. That's not the problem. The problem isn't that they're eating kosher foods. The problem isn't that they're wearing certain clothes. The problem isn't that they're circumcising their babies. That's not the problem. The problem is that they are trying to require of others what God does not require. The problem is that they are trying to force other people to conform to their ethnic customs. To say, in order to really be part of God's family, in order to really be saved, you have to practice these customs. They are trying to take their ethnic traditions and customs and bind them on other people. And when you try to require something of your brothers and sisters that God does not require of them, that's a false doctrine. That's a false doctrine. And so they're coming in and they're preaching a false doctrine saying, in order to be saved, you have to practice these customs. And Paul and Barnabas said, I don't think so. 
not so fast. That's not going to fly here. We're not going to allow you to come in here and to trouble people and to teach these kinds of things. Now, notice it says that Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. You know, I've noticed something, something in myself even, that, that we have this tendency, I, I have this tendency, to, to see someone or to hear someone that is addressing division and to think that that person is divisive. But there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between addressing division and being divisive. There's a difference between addressing controversy and being controversial. But those of us that are, are kind of averse to conflict, we don't, want, don't even address it. But it's there whether you address it or not. It's a problem whether you say anything or not. And if, it, if no one addresses it, if no one says anything, if no one does anything, it is going to continue to do its harm. And this false doctrine was doing harm. So Paul and Barnabas weren't being controversial or divisive by debating the issue. They weren't being controversial or divisive by addressing the issue. This issue had to be addressed. It was the issue itself. It was the false doctrine itself. It was the lie itself that was causing division, that was controversial. And Paul and Barnabas were doing what teachers, what preachers, what evangelists, what leaders are supposed to do. They were addressing the issues that were causing controversy and division. I think we have to recognize the difference between those things. Going on, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to, the brother, to all the brothers. Now, there's so many things I want to point out in this story as we go along, but one of the things that I, I think is, is worth noting is the fact that, that these teachers that came from Jerusalem, so they came from Jerusalem and they went to Antioch and they were spreading these lies and causing all kinds of problems. These teachers that went from Jerusalem to Antioch, they were rogue. You know what I mean? They, they went rogue. They, they didn't have anybody appointed them. They weren't appointed. They weren't sent. They weren't commissioned. No one gave them permission. No one gave them authority. They weren't acting under or working under the authority and the oversight of the leaders, the elders and apostles. They just went and taught what they wanted to teach. And that's a problem. It's a problem, isn't it? Because, because here, on the other hand, now that Paul and Barnabas are going from Antioch back to Jerusalem to say, hey, some of your guys are causing a problem up here. So, some of your people are coming up here and causing a problem. They were appointed and sent. When Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem from Antioch, they were appointed by the church. They were sent by the church. This is one of the problems this is when we see all kinds of chaos, when everybody just teaches whatever they want to teach and everybody presumes to be. James addresses this in his book, doesn't he? Presumes to be a teacher. James says, not, not many of you should presume to be a teacher. 
You're going to get yourself into trouble. You're going to be held to a higher standard if you're a teacher. And these teachers that came from Jerusalem to Antioch, they hadn't been appointed. They hadn't been sent. They hadn't been commissioned. No one was overseeing them. They weren't doing this by someone's authority. They were doing it by their own authority. They presumed to be teachers. And and they were going to have to answer to their shepherds because their shepherds in Jerusalem The elders and apostles there were responsible for them, even though they hadn't sent them. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. I think this word party is interesting. Not, not party like we all like, right? No, no balloons, no cake, no, not a party like that, but party as in a faction, a sect. Even in the church, this party of the Pharisees was even in the church, not just in Judaism, but, but amongst the believers, this party spirit, this party spirit, this factionalism, It had bled into the church. And this party spirit corrupts things, doesn't it? Our party loyalties blind us to the truth. Their party loyalty was greater than their loyalty to the gospel and to the truth and to Jesus. Their party loyalty was greater. This party loyalty has the tendency to cause division, doesn't it? And they had built their identity around their party, the party to which they belonged. And their party loyalty, their factionalism, was causing them to be blind to the fact that they were were spouting false doctrine and didn't even recognize it. So verse 6 says, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now, it seems to me like the, the apostles and the elders... In Jerusalem, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they listened, they listened to everybody's thoughts. They listened to all of the pushback and they, the controversy and the, the, all the different ideas. And then it seems like maybe they, they withdrew by themselves to consider this matter, to walk through it together. Verse 7, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, whose family is he talking about here? Cornelius, right? We talked about this story. At length, we talked about this story. Peter continues to remind them, you remember what God had to show us. And it took a lot of work. This was years ago. God had to show us this, that he loves Gentiles too. And he wants to save them too. And he's going to save them on their faith in Jesus. And because they put their faith in Jesus, just like we put our faith in Jesus, God has cleansed their heart. But notice in the beginning of verse 7 again, and after there had been much what? Debate. They didn't shy away from it, did they? And I know that can be, that can be the tendency that, that we have, can't it? It can be my tendency. I just, I don't want to talk about that. That's, that, that, that issue is, is a hot button issue 
That's a, that's a nuclear issue. You touch that, you're going to die. Don't even go anywhere near that. But an unstoppable church, a church that's aligned with the mission of Jesus, doesn't shy away from discussing and even at times debating these things. Why? That doesn't mean that every issue is worth debating. It doesn't mean that every issue is even worth discussing. Some of them are not worth discussing, but some of them are causing problems. And if they're causing problems, the church doesn't need to shy away from addressing them. Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will, be a, we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. You, you see what, what's being said here? You know what we believe, right? Why are we even talking about this? Because we know what we believe, and what we believe is that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. That's what they preached. That's what was being preached at the church in Jerusalem. Every single week they were preaching, we are saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus. We are saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus. But when controversy happens, when division happens, what do we have a tendency to do? We don't default towards truth. We default towards tradition. People have this tendency that when, when it gets tough, when there's tension, when there's conflict, we default towards tradition rather than truth. It's one thing to preach boldly. Yes, saved by grace, saved by grace. And then somebody says, what about them? What about those people? What about those people that don't look like us or eat like us or talk like us? What about those people who aren't circumcised like us? What about those people that don't keep the same traditions we do? You still going to preach so boldly that we're saved by grace? Yes. Yes. And Peter says, this is what we believe. And if this, this is what we believe, then this is what we have to practice. We have to practice what we preach. We have to practice what we preach. And so often when there's tension and conflict, we don't practice what we preach. We practice our traditions. And somebody has to call us on it, don't they? Somebody has to stand up and say, wait a second. What do we believe? I know, I know it'd be easier just to give in to the Pharisee party. I know it'd be easy to do that because they're loud. They're loud. You know, the squeaky wheel always gets the grease. I, they're loud and they're angry and they're upset. And so it'd be easy to just to bend and to cave to them, just let them have their way. But that's not in accordance with truth. That's not what we believe. We believe that people are not saved by circumcision. We believe that people are not saved by keeping the law of Moses. That's not how we were saved, and that's not how the Gentiles will be saved. We have to practice what we preach. Verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them, through them among the Gentiles. I love that, don't you? There's a, time, there's a time to speak. There's even a time to be loud. Praise God, I like to be loud sometimes. There's a time to be loud. There's a time to discuss. There's a time to debate. And there's also a time to be quiet. Listen. And reflect on what is, what is God doing here? What has God been doing? What has God been showing us? What has God been demonstrating? 
What has God done through these men among the Gentiles? What's been happening? Listen to the will of God. I know you've all got your opinions. I know you've all got your perspectives. I know you've all got your traditions. But sometimes, sometimes I need to just be quiet and listen to what God is doing. They prioritize God's will over their own opinions. That's how we get through controversy, isn't it? We prioritize God's will and we say, I I know this is what I default towards. I know this is my tradition. This is my background. This is the way I'm leaning, but I want to know what God's will is. I want him to be able to override my opinions. Verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. They found answers that were deeply and clearly rooted in Scripture. Do you see how James says, listen, what what Peter is saying, it's in perfect agreement with what the prophets, prophets plural, not prophets singular, what the prophets say. He quotes from Amos as an example, but all the prophets say the same thing. This This is what has been said from the beginning. This is what all the prophets have been saying that God wants the Gentiles too. And we got to get out of God's way. we got to stop opposing the will and the work of God. Not not just because I've got a fuzzy feeling in my heart about this. You know, it's not that. It's It's not that they had a feeling about something. It's that what they were saying about what God was doing was perfectly aligned with what Scripture says. Not just one proof text pulled out of context. I'm sure that the party of the Pharisees could throw verses back and forth with the best of them. And we can all do that too, can't we? Take some verse out of context and just throw it at somebody like it's a silver bullet. But he's saying the whole narrative of Scripture, what all the prophets testify to, this is what This is what we're seeing unfold before our very eyes. When we're dealing with controversy, we have to find answers that are deeply and clearly rooted in Scripture. Not pulling out of, I like this verse. This is my like verse. I like this verse because it says what I want to hear. No, not like that. What has God been up to? What What is God doing and what is God's will? Look at verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from the ancient generations, Moses has, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, actually, all four of these commands come from Leviticus chapter 17 and 18, And in Leviticus 17 and 18, these were commands that not only the children of Israel were expected to follow, stay away from idols, don't eat the food that's been sacrificed to idols, don't eat strangled food or food with blood in it. 
and stay away from sexual immorality, these commandments were given even originally, not just to the children of Israel, but also to the foreigners who would sojourn among them. And and so the, the first century church, and by the way, this is why when we're defining sexual immorality, the Old Testament is more than fair game. This is why we define sexual immorality and sexual morality the way both the Old and New Testaments do. One man, one woman, like the creation for life. And so as these Gentiles were coming into the family of God, they weren't just saying, oh, just come on in. Just The more the merrier, do whatever you want, be whoever you want. No, no, no. They were telling that there are actual requirements and expectations of you. But they made a decision. Their discussion wasn't indefinite. That's how we tend to be sometimes when it comes to controversy, don't we? We just tend to have a discussion that goes on forever. But finally, James stands up and says, no, no, no. We need to make a decision here. Here's the decision. They're saved, and here are the requirements. Verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Here's the letter that they wrote to the Gentiles in Antioch. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, To the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ couple of things to notice here. As they communicate with these other Christians, these Christians who've had their, their minds upset, who've been deeply troubled by what they've been taught, the leaders in the Jerusalem church confessed the harm that was done by their own members. See, this is one of the hardest things about dealing with controversy, isn't it? When we deal with controversy, we sometimes have to take responsibility for the harm that other people have done. And we have to say, what they did was wrong. It was wrong. And they hurt you. They hurt you deeply. And we want to help correct what was done that harmed you. But not just, not just confessing the harm done and correcting the harm done, but also commending those who had been faithful. They sided with Barnabas. And Paul, and that's a big deal, isn't it? They said, these are our beloved brothers. We're sending them back to you. It took a lot of courage to say, these men have been faithful, faithful to the gospel and faithful to what is true. Verse 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, the good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. I love this phrase. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know. I guess they could have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit said, seems good to me, right? That's possible. I don't think that's necessarily what happened here. I think that they're saying we've, we've seen what the Holy Spirit has been doing. 
We, we've seen how the Holy Spirit has been working in all of these situations, both in what he did with the family of Cornelius, but also what he's been doing in Galatia, what also he's been doing in Antioch. So we've seen the work of the Holy Spirit. We've, we've listened to the scriptures, but also that the Spirit of God has given them wisdom. Wisdom. James, who spoke these words, was one who said in his letter, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. The Spirit had given them wisdom. They sought wisdom from the Spirit. And then they clearly communicated their decision and their expectations. I know we're running out of time. Verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they'd spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. That's what we need after controversy, isn't it? That, that's what we need after there's been a difficult, challenging time is to be encouraged with the word of the Lord. This is how they were an unstoppable church, is by, is by leaning on and trusting in the wisdom of the Spirit of God. I, I want to just real quickly walk through 10 things. We could probably pick out more than 10 things, but 10 things that, that this church did, and I think an unstoppable church will do to deal with controversy. Number one, seek wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Seek wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And by the way, not just for church leaders, but for church members. And not just in the church, but in your home, in your family. Because you're dealing with controversial issues in your family, aren't you? Seek Wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Ask him. Ask him for wisdom. Number two, do not shy away from addressing issues that are causing division. You are not being divisive by addressing issues that are already causing division. Sometimes we can be divisive by not addressing the things that are causing division. Number three, practice what you preach. If we're singing it and we're preaching it, and we boldly proclaim it, and we say we believe it, then we have to put it into practice. Number four, prioritize God's will over your own opinion. Number five, seek answers that are deeply and clearly rooted in Scripture. Number six, have discussion that actually leads to decision, not just indefinite discussion, but discussion that leads to decision. Number seven, confess and correct the harm that has been done. Confess it. Correct it. The leaders in Jerusalem, they didn't cause the problem, but they had to confess this harm has been done and seek to correct it. Number eight, commend and defend those who've been faithful. Commend them and defend them. Number nine, clearly communicate the decision and the expectations. Let people know these are the expectations. If you're going to be part of this church family, if you're going to eat at my table, if you're going to be part of this, here's what we expect. Number 10, encourage and strengthen one another through the word of the Lord. These are all things, not just that, that leadership needs to heed, but things that we all need to heed and consider and think about both in the church and in our families. But here's where I want us to land today. Those who ask for and trust in the Spirit's wisdom are stronger after a controversy than they were before. 
Do you see how things were in Antioch after this controversy? They were rejoicing. They were encouraged. Things were so very good. Why? Because these men and women, they trusted him and they asked for the Spirit's wisdom. And church, if if we'll do that, if we'll do that, we don't have anything to be afraid of. I know, I know there's a million controversial things. I know there's a million things that could divide us. But I firmly believe that if we stay in Scripture and we ask for and trust in the wisdom of the Spirit, if we, if we are walking in the Spirit and the Spirit's fruit can be seen in us, then we too can be an unstoppable church. A church that's eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to turn it all over to the Lord. Not just your wisdom, but your sins and your mistakes and your shortcomings, your family, your your business, your life, your home, your car, everything. Surrender it all to Jesus by being baptized into Christ and letting him make sense of things. Be raised up to walk in a new life. Or maybe you've already made that decision and you need to recommit yourself to the Lord. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. We are in this together. Whatever the controversy, whatever the difficulty, whatever the challenge, let's walk through it together. Our shepherds would love to visit with you and pray with you in the prayer room. Or you could come forward as together we stand and sing.